If you want to be a part of the conversation, please feel free to email me at Katie Smiles. That's K-A-D-I-E Smiles, because my smile is very cute, dot N-Y-C. Normally, I would give you so many facts about life, but today we're running low on time because of technical difficulties. I have a very, very, very special guest. Her name is, can you say what your name is? Yes, Natalie Ushalmi. Oh my gosh, Netta, I cannot pronounce your last name. Can you say it one more time? But but your my first name you're saying very well. So let's just let's just be happy about that. It's great. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm so excited to talk to you because um I think this piece I'd actually already heard about. Um can you tell cool. the people what you're currently making or currently showing? Uh, well, next week we premiere, um, we, well, we do the New York premiere of a project called Terra Modernity, which is a, um, a six-part series of works. Each work is about half an hour, but we're presenting all six of them, so the evening lasts almost four hours. Wow. And um, the project is concerned with sort of modernism in dance and through dance. So we take very famous dance works that are um, well-known um, in our field and beyond and are sort of um, revered, and we kind of deconstruct, deconstruct them uh, choreographically. And then also, instead of having them uh, kind of in their um, known context, which would have music and set and costumes and all of that, um, those things are stripped away and they're performed uh, alongside um, new essays by scholars and the scholars really um, speak about their works and about things that um, might have stemmed from the work um, and might be also not related to the work in order to open up um, dance and modern dance and modernity uh, into wider conversations. So it's a very um, it's a very rigorously danced project, but it's also a very rigorously thought right. project. And the audience is invited to work their brains in multiple ways. What brought you to this? Uh, this space of um, yeah, what maybe was there was there something that maybe was lacking in the performance that you were seeing, or is there something that you really felt like uh, was maybe missing? Uh, you mean what brought me to this project or to the inclusion of scholarship in it? Right, I think a little bit of both. Uh, just even the desire to open up conversation within modernity. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that. Um, well, it, it, it started in a, in a project that I did in Berlin, and it kind of uh, was, was a response to a very famous dancer, Rite of Spring, from 1913, and there was a desire to juxtapose the material um, with different kinds of thinking around it. Right. And once, once, that, once, that, uh, once I performed that, it felt very interesting and very um, full of questions and full of um, interesting confusions, and I wanted to continue to look at things we took for granted or we take for granted in our in our dance legacy in our bodies in our dance right. bodies and just interrogate them and also of course kind of to answer your question um dance is often kind of marginalized not a lot of people think about it or pay attention to it or definitely not a, not a lot of people think of it as a, as a body of knowledge and a place right. to have research right. um in and around so i i it became clear to me that including language and, and theories and discussions of politics um uh you know that are connected to the works but that are of course are connected to larger conversations in our in our world and our society are would be also a way to bring more people to look at dance Right. Um, so yeah. 
What's been maybe one of the best confusions that have come up during this process? Interesting question. <laughs> um, let's see. I mean, I think um, the unresolved sort of power dynamics between the body and language, between movements and, and, and ideas that can be named, right. um, that is uh, usually words will win. Um, but as practitioners in, you know, in the field, we have, we have a sort of a very strong hold in a different kind of language, which, right. and a different kind of, of body of information, um, in, in our bodies. So there's this everlasting kind of like struggle or power dynamics, as I said, between the two, which feels kind of omnipresent and unresolvable. Right. Um, and I think another interesting thing is that um, remains intention is that these works are revered. And for instance, so we, we deconstruct six works. They're The Rite of Spring by Nijinsky, um, Night Journey by Martha Graham, Revelations by Alvin Ailey, um, segments from Sweet Charity, the film by Bob Fosse, different mm-hmm. works by Marsh Cunningham, and the ballet Egon by George Balanchine. And the this tension of these famous works um, not being on stage. In other words, we don't recreate them. Right. So we're asking both the dancing bodies and the scholars and the audience to be in some way in relationship to something that's not there. It's not on stage. Right. We're not showing you. We're not doing a documentary. We're not showing you the original dance and telling you its history. We're right. sort of saying this original dance is part of, of a history, of art history, of dance history, of our general history, and then we can refer to it. Right. And you know, bounce off of it. Right. In bouncing, go for it. Go Go ahead. In bouncing off of it, what, what new conclusions or answers have come up? Um, or new questions too. Yeah, exactly. It's more about questions than about answers. Always. We, um, we frame the project with about nine or 10 questions that are constantly projected um, overhead. Um, such as opaque questions like how many how many modernities are there, or questions that are a little bit more um, um, a little bit more probing, like who gets excluded from the modern canon or the modern stage. So questions is really what I'm interested in, not so much answers. And um, again, if, if we're looking at a piece like Revelations, um, the the conversation around it is going to it's going to bring up all kinds of questions having to do with what this work um, has meant and what it might mean, conversations about race, about the relationship of slavery to modernity. Um, but then, of course, there's always those questions about um, the relationship between a scholar and a dancer, the relationship between movement and language, or how the audience is taking in all this information. So we're constantly trying to have dynamic questions, um, whether they're about a certain kind of content of the essay or just about the very structure of this strange project. Right. Did you find that in exploring this idea, um, the concept of modernity became more dynamic? Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a huge, huge, huge... um, When somebody's asked to define modernity, everybody's like, uh... uh," You know, like, (laughs) it's such a big big term, and what what does it refer to? Are we talking about modernity in art? Are we talking about, you know, the Industrial Revolution? What are we talking about? So, but I I do think that um, in being really explicit about certain themes uh, in modernity, 
um, and kind of trying to, it's, in a way, sort of maybe um, this is kind of like a little moment of psychoanalysis right. um, for, for society through dance. Um, and we are maybe past, we're the post, postmodern, so we're maybe far enough to be able to look back with a little bit of um, critical sobriety. Right. And I also love that um, just with with creating space for more questions and then including maybe multiple disciplines, it also seems like you're kind of creating a space of access so that even if you don't mm. identify with modernity, uh, you can identify with something about one of the pieces that you're exploring. And, and then through that, you can then identify or begin to feel like you're a part of modernity. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that all, even if we do or we don't want to feel like we're part of modernity, we all are are in some ways, right? Right. Um, but yes, there is a lot of interest in access, different points of access um, to the project, whether it's literal access, let's say disability access, which we're including in the performance on uh, Saturday, March 16th, um, will include audio description for the visually impaired right. because one of the cast members is, is visually impaired and this has sort of really encouraged us and, and ushered us into hopefully a new era of dance being accessible to people who can't necessarily see it. Right. Um, but also access through, again, the subject matters, through the very um, fact that language is, is far more accessible often um, that movement is um, so yeah there is definitely an interest in that and there's a lot of space as you're saying for people to sort of find themselves in, in this discussion discussion of modernity and what interests and what feels like they identify with or not there's a lot to rest on to and a lot that you can let go of if you're not you know you're not connecting. Right. And I did want to, um, I know we are a little bit short on time, but I did want to touch upon the what you said earlier about language often wins. Uh, uh-huh. And given that, I mean, you are such a lovely practitioner. Uh, those of you who don't know, Neto was my teacher at ADF, and I've, like, followed oh. her as best as I could. Um, <laughs> but I only bring that up because um, I definitely felt like dancing with you, I was able to access maybe... Um, a different vocabulary with movement, um, mm. and I and I pose that against this idea that language always wins, and so how um, how does movement or movement practice encourage this conversation further and make space for new conversations in a way that language can't? Totally. I mean, I think um, our job as as movement practitioners to find ways to introduce that reality that you just articulated to more and more people um, mm. by placing the audience in close proximity to the, to the dancers, by removing music as a sort of protective film, um, by really, uh, you know, asking people to contend with the ideas. I think that part of what the project is doing is really saying look at these bodies and all the history and all the culture and all the information they hold inside of them right. um you look at look at these bodies in effort look at these silent bodies that are not using language you know so it is trying to elevate movement um and and embodiment but there is also you know the reality that language kind of always wins or or, or like maybe not for you and i but right. for the general population, right? right. And uh, so I, I am kind of on a mission, and it sounds like you are as well, to, you know, work against that. But Yeah. 
Of course, of yeah. course. Uh, and I yeah. do, given that there were so many questions, and I find having no answers and mostly questions a little dismantling, was there any kind of um, personal practice that you had to implement to kind of make sure that you were in a caring space for yourself? Say that again? I, I, I want to make sure I understand your question. Uh, given that there were so many questions, did did your self-care regimen change or have to be, mm. or did it stay the same as a way to kind of support yourself through these questions? Mm, interesting. I think that a lot has changed. Um, I think that, well, definitely if I'm dealing with iconic, historical, um, codified, modern dance vocabularies, um, practices change in terms of like how do you prepare your body to do these practices, these vocabularies that have so much more tension in them and are concerned with shape and right. with arrival um, than more contemporary forms that are much more about weight and release and, and kind of feeling the bones. And right. so the, that has been kind of fun to feel like I'm trying on all these kind of old old school dance techniques and <laughs> mostly by and large I've mostly fallen in love with them so I don't really um and it has felt like a different kind of self-care um wow. but yeah you know I have to spend uh, much more time than I have you know preparing for this project required a lot of reading and a lot of research in libraries and a lot of time com uh, conversing with scholars and contending with their material versus our material in the right. studio. So it, I have had to change a lot of my practice and how I spend time. Right. Um, yeah. Right. But, but, you know, in terms of self-care, like, by, by and large, uh, the, the, the work on this has been so um, giving to me. I got so much from it, whether or not it being just how much I've learned from the people that I've worked with yeah. um, and how much the community has embraced the project because it really is a project about a community. Right. Um, and so I've gotten a lot. So I, my, in a way, the project has cared for me. And That's beautiful. In some way. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And my last, last yeah. question before we get out of here, um, how did you create support for this work? Were you, like, doing the whole grant thing? Were you, like, just working, working, working somewhere and then, like, using it like that and using that those resources to maybe funnel into that? How was that yeah, for I you? Yeah, we, we've been working on it for – we started in earnest. I started in earnest in the fall of 2015, even wow. though I had already created the Nijinsky one. Yeah. And I started on a residency for a month by myself in, uh, in San Francisco. And then there were a slew of residencies um, that we were fortunate to get. And, you know, each of those residencies comes with a, a little bit of money, but mostly studio time. Right. Um, so there was a lot of residencies, a lot of opportunities to show things in progress. Uh, you know, there's 20 people involved. That's it. And that's crazy. Uh, dentists and scholars. Yeah. And not everybody lives in New York at all. So it's. It was very much um, uh, an accumulation of support um, through different venues. We did get a grant from um, the New York Foundation for the Arts, which was a huge, not the New York, the New England Foundation for the Arts, which was a huge support. And we also had commissions from Jacob Solo and New York Live Arts and the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council. And um, so there was definitely all the stuff that you mentioned, the grant writing and all of that. Um, right. uh, but there was somehow an abundance of support for this I think ultimately because it just took three years over three years a lot of yeah you know a lot of just opportunities are there to be had yeah. yeah 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 but um 
it, um, like I said, it's been, it, it kind of has flowed in this magical way. And I've brought into the fold dancers who have thought of themselves as retired dancers and scholars who have never thought about dance. So in the way that these collaborators have sort of happily and generously jumped in very willingly to be part of this, right. that's also been a huge resource and support. Yeah. It's enabled it to happen. And it yeah. also sounds like you, you um, I wouldn't say go against the grain necessarily, but you've been a bit unorthodox about how you select it. You didn't go for the, the people that were already already accessing this material uh and and i wonder then um how beautiful it has been as a process for them to then gain access as they dive into the material and and, yeah well put yeah and then then so putting that with people who are trying to gain access i just think that that offers such a bridge um in a space where maybe there's a lot of division um i just think that that it's almost like you're leading by example and i think that that's Revolution. Yeah, you know, it is tricky. If if you're if you're protective of, you know, say revelations or you're protective of at Balanchine's Aegon, which they very much are, <laughs> they might not want anybody to have access to it. Right. You know? It depends on how people and I'm trying to say, Hey, it's on YouTube and hey, it's you know, it's been danced thousands of times and we've all, you know, had to learn these phrases and techniques and, you know, in some way, we have access. It's in our bodies. Right. What way is it in our bodies? And so, yeah. So I think a lot of people are in the project have felt like, oh, it's fun. I get to try on Cunningham for right. you know a moment, and I get to try on to be uh, maybe I was in Revelations for in the fantasy for a moment. But but it really, it really, yeah. It also carries a responsibility with it. Right. Um, you know how to do it, how to feel when you're performing something that you're not really sanctioned to perform. Uh, and so everybody has to be very sober about the fact that they're performing and not in the same kind of ownership over the original dance, but more in conversation with the original dance um, for the service of questions. Right. Yeah. And I just think that them being in conversation um, just creates space for more people to join the conversation. And I think almost that you guys have worked from a place of community and openness and access and I really think yeah. that that gives the audience again that opportunity to be in the same way. It um, it lessens that fourth wall between the oh I'm a dancer and I'm not a dancer, and it 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 puts everybody kind of on an equal playing field. And that's I hope so. I mean, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's so cool. Um, well, we are out of time, but Netta, thank you so so much for thank you calling dude. in, and um, I can't wait to see the piece. Are you coming? I think so. I sure hope so. You better come. This sounds amazing. Yes. Say what? This sounds so amazing. I'd only heard the yeah. I'd only heard about the piece through like word of mouth and um and I did not know you'd been working on it for three years. That's so amazing. Yeah. Can we tell the listeners the, the dates? Oh next week? yes, guys. I'm it's, so worried about time. And Netta, we got to give you a plug. So yes, tell us all the information. It's March 14th through the 17th um, at New York Live Arts which is in Chelsea. Yes. And if you go to newyorklivearts.org, the tickets are on sale there. Yes. And you should know that the show is approximately four hours and there's two intermissions and refreshments. Oh, very nice. <laughs> and then where can they find you? I know you're on Instagram and Facebook, but I don't know your name on either. And also, are you like a big social media person? I'm not a huge social media person, but if you look up Natalia Ushalmi, you'll find me. Okay. So that basically on just both. means like Google yes. guys. 
It just means Google. She's famous. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. No, thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Yes, I'll send you, a, I'll send you an email. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Ciao, ciao. Bye. And guys, uh, just before we get out of here, I want to give a huge shout out to Mike Brun and Kuhu Verma. That is the composer and vocalist for the opening theme song. And lastly, and certainly but not least, always make it live, make it breathe, but just make it. Bye, guys. No, we got it, man.